0: You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Well, I invite you to return to John's uh, gospel as we pick up where we left off last time. We're going to be picking up with the 24th verse of chapter 20, John 20, verse 24, and we're going to, I think we're going to make it through the end of the chapter this morning. So, John 20, beginning with verse 24, through the end of the chapter. I think everyone's found their place. John chapter 20, verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Heavenly Father, we do pray and ask, Father, that you be pleased to bless us this morning as we seek to understand your word, as we seek to apply your word to our hearts. We pray, Father, that you would do that. Father, you would not just enlighten us into the meaning, but, Father, you would challenge us in areas that need challenging, that you would be pleased, O Father, to bless us in areas where we need the blessing and encouragement would you be pleased, Father, to um, do these uh, uh, these wonderful uh, works of grace, O Father, in our hearts? And Father, we look to you in Jesus' name for these things. Amen and amen. Well, I think we've probably all heard the um, the phrase "doubting Thomas." I think we've all heard that. Maybe, perhaps, we've used that phrase before. Uh, doubting Thomas. And uh, unfortunately, the phrase doubting Thomas has a tendency to uh, be used in a much wider scope, actually. And in many ways, uh, it's used in, in, in uh, contexts that really don't belong to the text that we've just read. Uh, the phrase doubting Thomas comes from the passage uh, that we've just read. And I think as we're going to see this morning, and hopefully as we're going to see this morning, Sometimes doubting Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap. And let me make application right now and get this out of the way. You know, as we're thinking about doubts, let me digress just for a moment because I want us to know, and I like to remind us from time to time, some of us may have been part of uh, congregations where to say that you have any kind of doubt would be one of the most horrible taboos that you could actually call upon yourself with. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm looking around and I'm seeing a couple of yeses. I know you do, and that's why I'm bringing it up. I want you to know you're not in such a congregation this morning. If you have doubts, and you want to talk about those doubts, you're not going to be judged for those doubts. So let me lead the way. Guess what? Occasionally, I have doubts. Hi, my name is Rick Anderson. Sometimes I have doubts. Why? Because a lot of things happen to us the moment that we put our faith and trust in Christ. A lot of things happen to us. But one thing that doesn't happen to us is we're not made perfect right on the spot, are we? In God's providence and in God's will and God's design, there's still a remnant of sin that dwells in our hearts. And that is the source of doubt, isn't it? That's the source of doubt. So we're going to wrestle some of the most faithful people who've ever walked with the Lord in this, in this earthly life. You read their memoirs, you read their histories and stuff, and they will, you know, praise be to God that they had the courage to admit that they sometimes were littered with doubts. Sometimes they were littered with doubts. You know, Billy Graham uh, has confessed to such. He had confessed to such. You know, let's be thankful of that. What do we do with that? That's why we have one another. Uh, we when we're when we're having those kinds of times, find somebody you trust and talk to. I'm available. Come, and, you know, text me, call me, whatever. Uh, we get together. We talk. We talk through that. Okay. But sometimes, back to the phrase doubting Thomas. You know, doubting Thomas. He sometimes gets a little bit of a bad rap. I mean, we can use the phrase doubting Thomas in in a context such as this. You know, I've been a little bit of a doubting Thomas about this, or I've been a little bit of a doubting Thomas about that, and. Sometimes we can use uh, the phrase that way, and what are we saying by that phrase? We're saying this. We're saying, you know, I've been somewhat skeptical about this. I've been somewhat skeptical skeptical about that. But sometimes the phrase "doubting Thomas" is used all the way uh, to describe full throttle agnosticism or full throttle atheism, and um, that that is a little bit of a problem, as we're going to see this morning. Hopefully, God willing. What do I mean by agnosticism? Agnosticism, and there's several different kinds, but for the sake of this morning's discussion, agnosticism basically teaches that we cannot know. It's the idea that you cannot know whether God exists or not. You're not saying he doesn't. You're saying we can't know whether he does or not. That is agnosticism. There's various types of agnosticism. We'll leave that for another day. Atheism, of course, I think we're all familiar with. That's That's the belief that there is no God at all. And sometimes Doubting Thomas can be used in those kind of contexts. And I think as we, as we go through our text this morning, we're going to see that that's really a misuse. And why am I introducing the sermon this way? Because I think sometimes we have, because the phrase Doubting Thomas is so prevalent in our, in our language, if you will, that I think sometimes when we read this text, we unknowingly import this idea of Doubting Thomas into the text. I'm not saying we will all do that. I'm not saying we always do that, but I'm saying we run the risk of doing that. And I want to uh, try to be sure that uh, we do not do that. Um, so uh, let's take a look here. I, I, I think a good approach here this morning would be to start um, by um, re- doing a reenactment, if you will, or uh, walking in the footsteps or retracing the footsteps of, of the disciples. We started to do that last week. And I think that would be a good first step. And a second step attended to that would be to try to look at the worldview of Thomas or to try to look at, okay, what does Thomas believe? Let's try to look at Thomas. So let's first start out by looking at what the disciples, uh, which would include Thomas, what have they been through uh, in the days that lead up to our text here? And what exactly is Thomas's worldview? What exactly is his system of belief, if you will? Let's start with a reenactment. You know, if you look up to verse 19, you see there it says on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. Uh, Those of you who were with us a couple of weeks ago, we spent a whole morning on that verse, didn't we? And one of the things that we wanted to show is that's Sunday morning. And that's not just any Sunday morning, but that's what we might call resurrection Sunday morning. Or we might even, some might even call it the first Easter Sunday That's the morning that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if we go back just a few days earlier, let's try to imagine this as a movie, you know? You see a scene and then the bottom of the caption it says three days earlier. And you're taken back uh, three days earlier. What's happening three days earlier? Well, it's Thursday and the disciples are gathered in the upper room, right? And um, let's try to put ourselves in that upper room. Let's try to imagine that we're in that upper room. And let's talk as if we were there. You know, in many respects, this, this, this time, there's never been a more intimate time with Jesus than this night. But that having been said, it was also a time of, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that my heart has ever been pierced like it was that night. You know, Jesus was doing some things that were unusual. He took, his outer, he took his outer robe off and he began to wash our feet. It made us so uncomfortable. That's such a lowly thing. It made us uncomfortable. And then no sooner did he do that, he told us that one of us was going to betray him and at first, I mean, all we could think about was who would do such a thing? Who is going to betray you, Lord? Who's going to do such a thing? But, 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 but the, the, the sheer trauma of that suggestion then brought on some insecurity where we began to say, Lord, tell me, please tell me it's not me. I'm not going to do it, am I? It's not I, Lord, is it? And then Jesus, Jesus said, I'm, I'm about to leave, and where I'm going, you cannot come. well, Jesus proceeded to talk to us as if he was preparing us for a departure. What departure? What is he talking about? We talked for a long time, and then he led us out of the city to a place we all knew really well, the Garden of Gethsemane, and we weren't there, but to what seemed like very long, and of course, then our, our, our questions, some of our questions were answered when we saw Judas bringing in a band of soldiers, and then Jesus was arrested, and, and for the first time in three years, we fled from him. I can't believe we fled from our Lord and Savior. We fled like cowards. But we couldn't stay away, so we followed. We followed. We tried to follow. Where where are they taking Jesus? Well, to the high priest, so we followed. Annas first and Caiaphas. And then word gets out that Caiaphas, uh, the the tribunal has found Jesus um, charged. They've charged him with blasphemy. And that's when we begin to really get the butterflies in our stomach. Blasphemy is a capital offense, and we we're told that they're handing Jesus over to Pontius Pilate. Now, we knew what that was about. That's only about one thing. Why are, why are the chief priests handing Jesus over to Pilate? That was to see that they could carry out an execution. Now it's Friday morning, and none of us have slept. We haven't slept a wink. It looks at times like Pilate's just gonna let him go. You know, we're, we're, we're hoping and we're praying But then we hear the dreadful news that Pilate has given Jesus over for crucifixion. After that, it's almost numbing. Later that afternoon, Jesus breathed his last and it's even difficult to speak about that afternoon and that evening. I gotta say, we were probably, most of us, just in shock. And even though we didn't sleep much on um, Thursday night, we could hardly sleep on Friday night. We were like zombies walking around. And when we did take a little bit of a snooze here or a snooze there, we'd wake up thinking, okay, we're just dreaming all this, where's Jesus? Um, Saturday was awful, just a time of grief and time of, we just didn't know what to make of this. I mean, what about these three years we've walked with Jesus? And it's hard to imagine, it, for the last three years, we've never been without him. We've never been, we've never been able to look and see him right there. And now he's gone. Saturday night, we just fell over of sheer exhaustion, but we did wake up. The sleep was restless, but we did wake up, and at times when we woke up, we just felt nauseous, thinking, okay, surely this is just a dream, but Sunday morning came around, and some of the women that were among us, they found the courage to go to the, to go to the tomb, and they made a discovery there. They discovered that Jesus' body was missing. And furthermore, Mary Magdalene ran to Peter and John and told them that if someone has taken the Lord, we don't know where they've laid him. Peter and John run to the tomb, and Mary follows back, and they find the tomb just like Mary had said. Mary remains behind, and then Mary has this astonishing news that Jesus appears to her, and she comes out of the garden area, and she's proclaiming, I've seen, the, I've seen Jesus, I've seen Jesus. I've seen Jesus, he, 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 is, he is alive. And furthermore, he has appeared several times this day. So we decided to gather together um, that evening. Um, and as we were gathered together here in verse 19, surely enough, Jesus appeared to us. At first we were frightened, we thought we were seeing a ghost, but then he said to us, here, touch me, touch me, feel my arms, touch me and see I have flesh and bones and he even he even ate a piece of fish that we had there. So we've seen the risen Lord. Now I think that well somehow maybe you know I'm doing the best I am I can to try to reenact what has taken place. Does it sound reasonable to all of you? Now, sometimes when verse 19 and verse 24 are put together, if you look at verse 19, okay, in verse 19, they're together, it's Sunday. It's Sunday, it's, it's Resurrection Sunday. They're gathered together and Jesus appears to them. And we know that probably at the very least, the 10 are gathered together. We think there's probably more than the 10. We don't know, we can't be dogmatic about it. We're not sure, but probably more than the 10. But Thomas is missing, verse 24. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with him when Jesus came. So Thomas hasn't seen the, the risen Lord. He, he, didn't, he didn't show up with the group on Sunday. And what is going on with Thomas? Why is Thomas staying away? Well, you know, in the beginning of verse 25, the disciples are telling Thomas that we've seen the Lord. But Thomas is saying, I will hear none of it. Now, why is, he, why is he talking this way? Let, let, let's think about it for a moment. Has Thomas lost his belief? I, I think if we think about Thomas and we think about him accurately and correctly, let's just ask some basic questions about Thomas that we know the answer to. Does Thomas believe in God? Of course he does. Does Thomas believe that the scriptures, at least at that time, the scriptures would be the Old Testament, what would be the equivalent of our Old Testament scriptures? Does he believe those to be divinely inspired in the very words of God? Would he believe that? Would he believe the oracles of the prophets, especially the the prophetic oracles of a Messiah who is to come to save uh, people, would he believe that to be the case? Of course he would. In fact, as I was thinking this through, Yesterday morning, I was thinking, you know, it'd probably be wonderful to have Thomas come and preach this morning. Could you imagine the things that he could show us from the Old Testament? I'd be happy to sit down and listen. He's been in Jesus' school for the last three years. He's had Jesus explain the Bible to him. As I've said many other times, you poor folks are stuck with me. Could you imagine having Jesus? And he's done this for three years. Could you imagine the insights that he has in the Old Testament Scriptures? I could open up the prophets and just explain. Even if he just opened them up and said, you know, Jesus used to say this. Jesus used to say that. Jesus used to say this. Oh my goodness, could we get some sermons out of Thomas? Then what's Thomas's problem? Trauma. I think it's sheer trauma. I mean, let's think about it. Thomas has left everything to follow Jesus. His entire hopes have been invested in Jesus, everything. His hope is invested in Jesus, and now it's been taken away. His hopes have been crushed. His hopes have been dashed. And when trauma comes, we all act a little bit differently, don't we? You know, over the last 20 years or so, I've been around the funeral parlor enough to know that we act and react differently when tragedy comes in to our lives, don't we? Thomas is acting differently than the rest of the disciples. You know, he didn't show up for the meeting on verse 19, and sometimes you'll hear this application made. If Thomas would have shown up, he would have seen the risen Lord, right? And then sometimes you hear, say, well, Thomas is never rebuked for not being there. Well, what do we, do? Well, which do we choose here? You know, let's just make some, let's just make some application of that for a moment. If a, if, a, if a dire tragedy occurred in one of our lives on a Friday afternoon, is there a person here that would fault that family for missing church on Sunday? I mean, would anybody here be so cold as to say, hey, we didn't see you on Sunday? I don't think so. I really don't think that there's anyone here that would do that we we would want to come alongside of them with comfort and grace wouldn't we we prayed for you this morning even though you weren't with us we you want to we want you to know we prayed for you i mean come on that tragedy happened on friday i don't think any of us would fault i don't think any of us would fault the family for not being with us on sunday but that having been said on the other side of this jesus Comes and meets with his people on Sunday morning, doesn't he? Jesus did come and meet with them. He came and personally met with them as they were gathered together. So, on the one hand, we don't want to um, find fault. On the other hand, we don't want to let go of the fact that Jesus actually does meet us as we're gathered together, doesn't he? Why'd you come up the steps this morning? It's because you're anticipating Jesus meeting with you as we're gathered together, aren't you? And I hope that he already has. I hope in, in terms of your heart's eye, I hope you've already, you've already met him in the songs that we're singing, in the prayers that we're lifting up. Or maybe a little bit later in the message, you'll meet him this morning. I hope, everyone here, I hope everyone here meets Jesus. Not in the way that Thomas meets him, as we'll see here in a few minutes, but I hope we will all meet Jesus as we come together this morning. So in one breath, we don't fault Thomas for not being uh, present on that first Sunday, but when we come to verse 25, uh, verse 26, rather, uh, we find that Thomas is with them. He wasn't in church last Sunday, but he's in church this Sunday. And notice the little phrase here in verse 26, eight days later. That can trip us up a little bit because some of us would look at eight days later, that's not Sunday, that's Monday, Right? Because you got okay Sunday, you got you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Are they gathered together on Monday? And sometimes people will trip up on that. And if you read literature about uh, this particular verse, you may come across a phrase known as uh, inclusive uh, rendering, or um, uh, what's the word? Um, inclusive is the word that's used first. Inclusive. Reckoning, that's the word, inclusive reckoning. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? The ancients, in modern times, in fact, we've already done this, you know, in our reenactment, we said, okay, let's, let's take Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and let's go back three days. How did we do that? We went backwards. Saturday was the first day. Uh, Friday was the second day. Thursday was the third day, right? That's how we typically do it. But if we were accounting for this uh, by inclusive reckoning, we would count the day we're in as the first day, and that was commonly done in ancient times. So we would have to say four days earlier because we'd be counting Sunday, and we'd say Sunday, Saturday, Friday, Thursday. And this is, this is how this is being accounted for here. This is Sunday. It's eight days later. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday. They're gathered together Sunday morning. Well, not Sunday. We don't know um, necessarily what time, but they're gathered together. The doors are locked. And Jesus comes and stands among them just as he had a week earlier. And I think there's a lesson in this. Notice that Jesus could have appeared to Thomas throughout the week, but he doesn't. He appears to them as they're gathered together, doesn't he? And this indeed, I think, I think this is a, a, a lesson for us uh, to not give up, you know, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Jesus does meet with us. Thank, praise be to God that Jesus meets with us when we're in our prayer closets or wherever it is that we pray. Praise be to God that Jesus meets us when we're individually uh, through the week opening up our Bibles, studying our Bibles. Um, but he especially meets, to us as, meets with us as we gather together, doesn't he? And if we haven't up until today come up the steps uh, anticipating Jesus meeting with us from now on, let's do so. I know many of you do. Uh, I mean, don't get in your car and head to church on Sunday without anticipating that Jesus is going to meet with you and pray that he will meet with all of us. As we all pray, Lord, please come and meet with us. Let me give you a quick story here. I'm going to try to do this really quickly. Um, Years ago, I got two two stories this morning I want to share from this time. Years ago, when I was going out to Columbiana County Jail and doing services for the inmates out there, as, as um, they got to know me a little bit, they started to ask, you know, could you come out sometime and talk with us? And I remember, um, I remember these uh, folks, they asked, I, I went out on a Thursday to talk with them, and I, I remember them saying, you know, uh, is there any way you could start coming once a week? Because I was going out every other week. Is there any way you could start coming once a week? And I'm like, you know, really, I can't. I mean, it's tough to get out here every other week. I was doing three services on Sunday. I'd get out there about noon. I wouldn't leave until five in the afternoon. And I said, it would be really tough. Um, but they, they shared with me that they actually checked off the days on their calendar. They actually checked off each day, anticipating the service. And up until that point, I hadn't really made the connection that the congregation itself has so much to do with how the worship service goes. Oftentimes, everybody gives that to the, the praise team or everybody gives that to the preacher. I want you to know that probably the primary thing going on on a Sunday morning, whether we receive a blessing or not, has everything to do with you. It actually has, I won't say everything, but it has a lot to do with you. Are we coming here hoping to meet the risen Lord? Are we checking the days off with great anticipation to come and gather together with the worshiping community and praise God and enjoy His presence in the company of our family and friends? Do you follow what I'm saying? I wondered for a while why those services were so intense and that women's service, that women and that men's service, the two later services, both of them were very intense, and it was because there was a great anticipation on their part to have the service. It makes all the difference in the world. Now, here Thomas is. It's eight days later. Thomas is with them. We're told that although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And then he comes and speaks to Thomas. You know, He says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it at my side. You know, you got to wonder, you know, as the disciples have been pleading with Thomas and saying, you know, Thomas, Jesus is alive. And you can almost hear Thomas say, I don't want to hear any more about this. I'm just, I don't want to hear any more about this. You know, people see what they want to see. I don't disagree that you're seeing things, but you just see what you want to see. And I don't want to go there to where he finally says, you know, listen, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. These are the, this is the language of someone whose hopes are crushed. And now Jesus is right before him. And what does Jesus say to Thomas? Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. <laughs> I imagine, I don't know what's going on in Thomas's mind as Jesus Appears before him, but um, and I don't know if he has time to think about this one. But perhaps, <laughs> perhaps what might be on some of our minds is, Lord, how do you know I said that? You you weren't there when I said that, Lord. And maybe that's what prompts Thomas's answer: "My Lord and my God." You know, it's it's uh, I think a little bit. Sad that Thomas is remembered for his doubts instead of his confession. That's not a new application. I think we may have all heard that one before. But what a confession he makes. My Lord and my God. Now, There are people who deny that Jesus is God. And if we're going to deny that Jesus is God, we have to do something with this verse. And really, it's it's really a a losing proposition because as we have studied John's gospel, starting with chapter one, verse one, we've seen over and over and over again that Jesus is God. I'll just give you one example. In John chapter eight, when Jesus is before his opponents, at one point, I think it's in verse 58, he says, Before Abraham was what? I am. Jesus was claiming to be God, and they picked, they wanted to stone him right there on the spot. Why did they want to do that? Because they perfectly understood him. Jesus was saying, I am Yahweh. That's what he was saying. And what is. What is Thomas saying? He is saying exactly the same thing, my Lord and my God. Now, sometimes people will say, no, that's not what Thomas is saying. What Thomas is saying is kind of the equivalent of what we would say today, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Has anybody ever heard that before? That's, that's nonsense. First of all, it would be blasphemous to Thomas, that that kind of language would be absolute blasphemy to Thomas. And secondly, that's not what's written. It's just not what it says. I mean, what do you do with the word and in there? What do you do with the word and? Thomas's profession is that Jesus is Lord, which is the fundamental profession of of the Christian faith, isn't it? And that Jesus is God. My Lord my God is Thomas's profession. But the point I want to make this morning, really the point of this morning's message, is that Thomas's dashed and crushed hopes are healed with the presence of Jesus. And if we think about it, I mean, what do we do with dashed hopes? Do we have dashed hopes in our culture and maybe even our lives. Have you ever invested in something with your heart and you put it all in, you just put it all in and you worked at it for a long time only to have it come crumbling down? Has anybody ever experienced that before? How do you, how do you typically react to that? It can be so desponding. It can be so crushing. It can be so just oppressive, can it? Sometimes we just check out like Thomas has. I don't want to hear about it no more. I just don't want to hear about it no more. And in our culture, as we look around in our culture, I mean, as we look especially at the massive addiction and what have you going on in our culture, are we moving around in a culture that is practically hopeless? You better believe we are. And how is this hopelessness healed? Well, the lesson's right in front of us. It's healed by the presence of Jesus, isn't it? It's healed by the presence of Jesus. Verse 29, I want to, in the remaining time we have here, I want to look at verses 29, 30, and 31 because I think we can fall down here. I think we can trip up here. Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, sometimes I think we can read these verses and we can get the impression that, you know what? Thomas, he is a guy who had to have proof. But the real believer is the one who needs no proof. Has anybody ever heard that before? (laughs) You can get that from this verse, I guess. I don't know what you do with verses 30 and 31, though. They seem, if you take that line in verse 29, verses 30 and 31 seem to be really out of place, don't they? And that should tell us that maybe something's wrong with the way we're understanding verse 29. Let me tell you another story about, the, um, about my time at um, Columbiana County Jail. Now, I wasn't in jail when I talked this way. I gave a talk a few years ago, and I, asked, I always ask Tammy, and I'll ask her when we get in the car at some point today, I'll say, okay, how would that all go? Was that clear? Was that awful? She'll tell me the truth. She does it very nicely. She does it very kindly, but she tells me the truth. Um, I'd given a talk at the Clark Field. I think it was at the Clark Field. And I thought it went pretty well. And I said, "Tammy, how'd that go? She goes, oh, it went good. I said, okay. But the look on her face, <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, oh, they, they, they all thought you were in jail. Everybody thought you, okay. I've never been in jail. <laughs> but when I was doing ministry at Columbiana County Jail, there was a fellow, we're gonna call him Rob, and that was actually his first name. I don't even remember his last name. But Rob was at, I think he might have did maybe 18 months out there. So he came, to, he came to every service. I never did a service out there where Rob wasn't sitting right there, smack dab in front of me. You know, the solenoids the, the would go off in the doors, you'd hear this, you know, and it would echo through the place and then you'd see them come and carrying in their chairs and they'd set their chairs down and, and Rob would set his chair down right in front of me and Rob would sit there and it was like he was hanging on every word and I would tell Timmy, I said, you know, there's a fellow that comes, I me mean, he's in every service. He never misses, and seems like he hangs on every word. And in the meantime, I don't know, six months in, maybe probably more like a year in, um, these ladies said, would you come, would you come and talk with, with us? And I'm like, oh, sure, I'll come out Thursday. It just seemed like it was Thursdays when I typically would go out there and talk with people. I said, I'll come out Thursday. So I go out on this Thursday, and they took us to a different place um, in the facility, and we happened to walk past a room where there was a, a meeting going on. And I asked, you know, who, who's in there? And they said, well, the Jehovah's Witnesses are in there. I'm like, oh, okay. And as I walked back, guess who I saw sitting in the front row hanging on to every word? It was my boy, Rob. I'm like, Rob, what are you doing? I'm telling you Jesus is God. They're telling you isn't. You're hanging on to it all. Rob would believe anything you told him. And, you know, when, when you move about amongst people who profess Christianity, it's not hard to find people that are like that, is it? Excessively gullible. We might call them Credulous. Uh, who were looking at verse, like verse 29. Listen, Thomas had to have his proof. You know, he had to touch Jesus. He had to see Jesus. He had, we don't need any proof. We don't need anything. We, we believe all this stuff. The real true believer is the one who needs no evidence whatsoever. Um, not, not hardly. Look at verse 30. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. And we've looked at these verses through the course of our study because John is telling us, we don't have to guess why John is writing. He tells us in verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is put forward as proof. God is not asking us to jump in darkness He's not asking us to jump where there's no proof. He's not asking us to jump where there's there's nothing. We're not jumping into the dark. As it's sometimes said, we jump into the light. Let me give you one more illustration. Maybe we'll flesh this out. Let's suppose I'm not a pastor. Let's suppose I'm not even a believer. Let's suppose that I'm still walking in my sins. I back the truck out of the driveway for the last time. I go and wrap it around a telephone pole. And now I'm in front of Jesus and I'm in front of his tribunal and I'm face down on the floor and I'm saying, Lord, I didn't know. Lord, I didn't know. Lord, I didn't know. I didn't know. And I hear an angel say, Rick, how is it that you didn't know? Rick, how could you be so out of touch with reality? You see, Thomas is out of touch with reality that week between the first Sunday and the second. He's walking around with dashed hopes, crushed spirit, thinking Jesus is dead. But Jesus is actually alive. And Thomas's salvation is accomplished. And Jesus really has prepared a place for Thomas. Thomas is out of touch with reality until he meets Jesus. This is not a Christianity is not a leap in the dark. Christianity is a leap into the real deal here. It's a leap into reality. Not that just we have been created by God, but that we are loved by God and that Jesus has come who is God. He has died on a cross. He has accomplished salvation on that Sunday morning he rose. He has prepared a place for us. There's going to be a judgment. This is all coming to an end. Jesus is going to create the new heavens and the new earth. That is reality, isn't it? And until we come to understand that, we're out of touch with reality. So you see, it's the presence of Jesus bringing reality to our hearts that saves us from crushed hope. This is the message our neighbors need. This is the message our friends and loved ones need, isn't it? Before we leave this room this morning, let's ask ourselves the question, have we received this message? Have we received the living Christ? I mean, can you, is Jesus a concept to you? Some of you know this question. You've, you've been asked this question by me. And I've said to you, is Jesus a real living per, person in your life or is he just merely a concept? If he's just a concept, you haven't come to him yet. You haven't come to him yet. He's not a concept. He's a real, living person. Take a hold of him. Don't let him go until he reveals himself to you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you've given us, which, Father, none of us can even begin to articulate the the magnanimity of, Father. It's enormous grace. It's tremendous grace. It's wonderful grace. Father, thank you. Father, we pray that you would cause this grace to extend, Father, beyond these four walls. But if there's anyone here this morning who say, you know, I think maybe Jesus is a concept. I don't know that I really met him. Father, open their eyes. Appear to them, Father. Maybe in the closing song. Maybe in the closing song, Lord, it would be your will to appear to them and say, peace be with you. Oh, Father, whenever your will is, Father, we ask, appear to them. And we ask, oh, Father, that you would appear to us in Christ Jesus. Appear to us afresh this morning, Lord. May we hear those wonderful and comforting words, peace be with you. Oh, Father, our dashed hopes and our crushed hopes, Father, heal them, oh, Lord. Heal them with the news that we have the brightest of futures ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.